listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. Joining me again as co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, photographer, award-winning lighthouse volunteer, secretary of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, mom, and rock and roll drummer. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there. This is episode 87 of Lighthearted, scheduled for November 2nd, 2020. On this date in 1857, the original Barnegat Lighthouse in New Jersey toppled into the ocean. The lighthouse was 900 feet from the water when it was built in 1835, and only half that distance a decade later due to erosion. After the encroaching seas caused it to collapse, a new 163-foot brick lighthouse was built, about four times as tall as the original one. The present lighthouse is a major tourist attraction. On November 2, 1961, the Canadian singer and songwriter Katie Lang was born. She once said, and I quote, The older I get, the more I embrace who I am, end quote. Well, that seems like a good idea to me. It does. Yep. Before we get into today's interview, I just want to mention something. I just got something really interesting in the mail. I got an envelope from my good friend John Hopp, who's a lighthouse aficionado in New Jersey. And I thought, ooh, what, what could this be from, from John? And I open it up, and I've got it right here. It's a mask, the kind of mask that a lot of people are wearing these days for certain reasons that we all know about. And it's beautiful. It's, a, it's blue with little lighthouses all over it. And it's made of cloth, and it's got, you know, like elastic uh, straps on the sides. It's really nice, and John sent along a note with it that says it was handmade by a volunteer at New Jersey's Epsican Lighthouse, another tall brick lighthouse in New Jersey. So if you go to the uh, Epsican Lighthouse, you can, I guess you can buy them there, and I would recommend it very highly. I think it's really nice, and I want to thank John for sending that to me. I was out at the Nubble gift shop at Nubble Light a few weeks ago and purchased a face mask there that has Nubble Lighthouse all over it. It's so pretty. Cool. Yeah, so you can get them there as well. There's probably a few different lighthouse masks. In fact, I just saw our mutual friend Bob Zimmerman of our Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses organization, and he was wearing a, a different kind of a, a lighthouse mask also. So anyway, so now I've got my very own lighthouse mask, so I just had to mention that. That's great. Yeah. So in today's episode of Lighthearted, we're going back to Michigan to talk about Round Island Lighthouse in the Straits of Mackinac. Also, a little later, we'll have the first installment of a new feature about Florida lighthouse history. But first, Michelle, please help me tell our listeners about Round Island Lighthouse and our guest, Matt McMullen. Sure thing, Jeremy. Round Island Lighthouse in the Straits of Mackinac is one of the most photographed lighthouses in Michigan. Thousands of people see it each year from the ferries that pass from Mackinac Island to Mackinac City in St. Ignace. Round Island itself is about 378 acres and is uninhabited. It's part of the Hiawatha National Forest. As early as 1837, there was discussion of a lighthouse to mark the narrow part of the North Channel in the Straits of Mackinac that passes between Mackinac Island and Round Island. For many years, vessels had to use the wider South Channel, which added considerable distance and time to their trips. Funds were finally appropriated for a lighthouse on Round Island in 1894. Round Island Lighthouse was constructed in 1895 at a cost of $15,000 by Frank Rounds, a carpenter from Detroit. Rounds had previously worked on Mackinac Island's Grand Hotel. 
which was completed in 1887. The lighthouse was first lit on May 15, 1896. It consists of a square tower at the northeast corner of a two and one half story gabled building. It's a twin of Two Harbors Lighthouse in Minnesota. The building was painted red until it was changed to red and white in 1924. A fourth order Fresnel lens was installed in the lantern. The equipment for a steam operated fog signal occupied the first floor. Living quarters were on the second and third floors. The lighthouse was decommissioned and abandoned in 1947 when it was replaced by the Round Island Passage Light. At one point, the Coast Guard was planning to demolish the structure, but it was saved when ownership was transferred to Hiawatha National Forest in 1958. The abandoned lighthouse fell victim to the weather and vandals. In October 1972, a storm knocked down one corner of the building. In 1973, tons of riprap stone were placed around the base to prevent further deterioration. The lighthouse was seen in the 1980 movie Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. With the efforts of the Friends of the Round Island Lighthouse, the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association, and other concerned people, some stabilization work was carried out in the mid-1970s, and more extensive restoration work was carried out in 1995. In 1996, public tours were offered for the first time. The light was relit as an aid to navigation that same year. The Round Island Lighthouse Preservation Society was formed in 2009 as a nonprofit organization to aid the preservation and restoration efforts for the lighthouse. In 2010, the society signed a memorandum of understanding with the United States Forest Service and a management plan is being formulated. Starting in 2007, an annual open house has been conducted to inform and educate the public of the history of the lighthouse and restoration efforts. Today, the lighthouse is threatened by historically high water levels in the Mackinac Straits, where Lake Michigan and Lake Huron converge, and there is a pressing need to install more protective rocks around the lighthouse. The Forest Service has stated that they don't have the funds to do the work, so the Round Island Lighthouse Preservation Society needs to raise about a quarter of a million dollars. Matt McMullen first fell in love with Round Island Lighthouse when he did a Boy Scout work project 25 years ago. Matt works as a high school industrial arts instructor and he has a passion for historical woodwork. He has been working at the lighthouse each summer since 1996 and is now chairperson of the Round Island Lighthouse Preservation Society. I had a chance to speak with Matt McMullen a few weeks ago. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am speaking with Matt McMullen, who is the chairperson of the Round Island Lighthouse Preservation Society in Michigan. Thank you so much, Matt, for being with me today. Uh, thank you, Jeremy, for having me. So why don't we start at the beginning for you personally. Let's uh, talk a little bit about your personal association with Round Island Lighthouse. I understand that it's actually tied in with some work that was done by the, the Boy Scouts there in the 1990s. Can you explain what that was all about? So, you know, we, we've heard the story. It's been a strange trip, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could say the same for me. How I got here, you look back and it's, it's I want to say fairy tale-ish, but it's really, for me, interesting. Um, back in 1996, uh, the Freel Boy Scouts, Troop 323, were approached by somebody that had ties to the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association. And the idea was that, hey, the Boy Scouts could come up to Round Island, do some work, maybe clean out, sweep, and, you know, just tidy up the place. And then from there, you know, maybe if things progress, we could keep using the, you know, the Boy Scouts as volunteers. 
I started coming up, the scouts for Freeland started coming up in 95. I was a little bit too young to go up at the time. The following year, though, I had earned enough, you know, the, the rank that you needed to go up along with uh, some merit badges that were required. And in 96, I was able to go up for the first time. So I've been going up since 1996, pretty much uninterrupted every summer. The Boy Scouts, the one downfall that they had was they could never fundraise on a large scale. All the money would have to go to the district and then be used for summer camps or whatnot. So in 2008, there was a group of us that were kind of the the old timers, I guess you could say, the scouts that still stuck around, some adult leaders that had stuck around, even though their kids had moved on, went to college, gotten married. And we said, why don't we start this nonprofit organization? That way we can fundraise, we could you know, partner with the United States Forest Service. By that point, the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association had kind of faded away from being involved with Round Isle Lighthouse. So at that point, it was just the scouts and the U.S. Forest Service, and there was no official agreement. It was just kind of one of those things where, hey, each summer, do you mind if we come up a couple times and we'll clean out the place? But there was no formal agreement or anything. So we formed the nonprofit in 2008, uh, worked on a memorandum of understanding with the Forest Service. Fast forward to today, I'm still here. Now I'm <laughs> running the organization, I guess you could say, as chairman. Two of our board members are former scouts. Uh, another one is an Eagle Scout. Uh, one of our board members is a former adult leader uh, that was with Troop 323. So the troop kind of became also a feeder program for us. That we still involve Troop 323. Uh, we do a June work weekend every year. We invite the scouts up. Uh, we've had scouts come through. I'm feeling old because now I'm seeing scouts come through, go off to college, have families of their own, and then call us back up and say, hey, can we get back involved? <laughs> of course. I took over as chairman about five years ago. The organization, it's growing each year. We're in a very good spot this year. We're growing more than I ever thought would happen. But that's kind of like, I guess you could say, the Cliff Notes version of how I got here. Yeah, I, I could. we could sit here and tell stories all day of every summer, every trip, every interesting thing that's happened. I mean, it, but yeah, it's just, it's strange looking back how I, I don't know how I went from scout to where I'm at now, but I think it's just the fact of falling in love with the place that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, obviously, it's a it's a place that has a, a special uh, is really special in your heart. But it seems like uh, Round Island Lighthouse is a very popular lighthouse, kind of iconic in that area. What do you think it means to people in that area? That area? What's so special about Round Island Lighthouse? You know that that's a tough question because that lighthouse I think means something different to every single person. It is the gateway to Mackinac Island, so. If you wanted to find, you know, the Midwest summer vacation retreat, it's Mackinac Island. You go back in time, there's no motorized vehicles. It's bikes and horses. It's not super touristy. You just feel like you're away from society for a little while. And that's very appealing to a lot of people just to get away, explore something different. And, and like I said, you're on an island. You're, you're away from the masses. I mean, the, the lighthouse means so many different things for so many different people. I mean, I'm thinking... I'm. I would argue it's probably one of the most photographed lighthouses in the world. You've got over a million people going to Mackinac Island each year. And from that, you know, five-year-old kid with their cell phone snapping a picture of the lighthouse as they enter into the harbor, you know, to your veteran, the, the gentleman or lady driving the ferry boats and piloting the ferry boats. Uh, I talked to Chris Scheffler with Scheffler's uh, Ferry this past week, trying to work out some details to see if they could help us with our fundraising. And he said, man, I've been driving by that lighthouse with my family since I was three years old. And... So for them, it means even, you know, it's a whole different meaning. 
You know, that's the that's his gateway to Mackinac. That's what he's looking for before he enters into the harbor. He's still using it as a navigational beacon. It's interesting for myself. I think Round Island is it's that epitome of a Michigan summer, and it, it's a way to get away. And it's it's in the middle of chaos. You have ferry boats running. You have um, the ships on the Great Lakes going by. You have society moving all around you. But this little lighthouse on its own little island is just kind of doing its own thing off to the side, kind of a hermit in some ways. And I think that's that's kind of an appeal to a lot of people. It's just out of reach, but yet close enough to still appreciate. Uh, that's uh, I love that that phrase. It's the epitome of summer. That's a, a great description. It's never hot. It's never cold. It's just perfect. There's always a slight breeze. There's always a breeze. And it, yeah, it just, it defines a Michigan summer to me. Yeah. You uh, reminded me of a few things as you were speaking. One is that I, I, uh, I have a long association with the islands in Boston Harbor. And so I know how special getting it out, getting out to an island in the summer can be. And <laughs> even though they're so close to the city there, you feel like you're in another world. So there's just something about islands for sure. Especially, yeah, it's, yeah, it's that escape. It's just, it's it's nice. And I think part of me, I think in a former life may have been a hermit because I, it's nice to just get away from things, mm -hmm. you know, just be close enough, but yet still far enough away. <laughs> yeah. I was just uh, doing some work on the Cordouan lighthouse in France and in, in its early okay. history, they, uh, they had what they called a holy hermit who lived in the lighthouse and was the lighthouse keeper. So there have been, there is an association of hermits with lighthouses in the past. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the history of the lighthouse. I understand its original reason, the reason it was established in the first place, was to help mariners through the North Channel in the Straits of Mackinac. So what was going on there? Why was a lighthouse needed so much? Well, you had a lot of changes at the turn of the century there. Late 1800s, you know, I think it was 1887, the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island was finished. So you had a very large increase of uh, the tourism industry basically was growing on Macon. Now you had trains bringing people from all over the country to the docks to bring people over to Macon Island to go to the Grand Hotel, to go explore the island, to get away. I think it was late 1800s, uh, you had the Polock, which is in the uh, one of the locks in the Sioux locks in the Upper Peninsula, had just opened. I think it was actually, it was the same year, it was 1896, the same year the lighthouse was built, the Polock open and it was an 800 foot lock so the most modern vessel of the time could trans you know transit from saint or uh, excuse me lake superior all the way down into lake michigan pretty much you know unhampered so you had iron mines you had copper mines timber was a huge industry in the up still is a huge industry all of that coming through the sioux locks could go down to indiana or the other way to ohio but you have all that increased traffic and if you've ever seen a picture of Round Island from, you know, the sky, you can see the shoal that comes out and jettisons out into that channel. The channel is a beautiful, naturally deep channel, but you're off by just a little bit and it could be <laughs> it could be pretty nasty. The history of Round Island Lighthouse as a staffed or man station isn't that long compared to some lighthouses. I think it was a little over 50 years. I'm not quite clear. Was it just male keepers who lived there always or did, were there families there at one time? Always families, from what we know of, keepers were encouraged and, you know, or allowed, I should say, to bring their families. There were solo keepers that, you know, maybe the families didn't join them, but they were welcome to join as far as what we know of our history. There was typically two to three keepers with a head keeper. Looking through, before we talked today, I was looking back through the actual list of keepers. And it's pretty interesting because you look at who the first keepers were, 
And they stayed on for quite a while. A lot of them stayed from the very opening all the way into the early 1900s. And then you hit about the 1900s, and it was a lot of turnover. I don't know if just somebody was not doing their job or what the issue may have been, but there was a lot of people transferred, a few people demoted even and transferred. And it, it, it kind of makes me wonder what was happening. But then as you got into the later 1900s, people were actually promoted and stayed on. Uh, one of the last keepers into the late 1930s uh, was Burt Proctor. His daughter is currently still alive, which is really cool because we were able to talk with her. She's been over to the island with us before uh, when we used when we were allowed to do open houses. And she was telling stories of what it was like growing up. At that time, the house was completely whitewashed. There was no red paint. And she said basically their life on that island from spring until fall, it was seasonal, they were not there in the winter, was keep the lighthouse, and her exact words were a number one condition. She said all they did was paint. That's all she remembers was <laughs> painting and cleaning because the Coast Guard at the time could show up at any moment for an inspection, and that could mean her dad could lose his job or be promoted or whatever it may have been. So they just constantly were working. And I thought that was pretty interesting. During the spring and in the fall when school was open on Mackinac, it was known that the keepers would roll their kids over to Mackinac for school. Uh, the half-mile stretch today, it's its a half-mile between Round On and Mackinac. It's not bad, but there's days where even in our modern boats, I'm going, okay, it's pretty rough out. I cannot imagine being in a rowboat or how that worked. If it was rough, did you just stay back at the lighthouse? Did you, you know, was it, well, we'll keep you on Mackinac? I don't know how that worked. Mm-hmm. But I do know the kids did go to school on Mackinac from the keepers. Well, that's great that you made that connection. It's always uh, so special to have a connection with somebody who actually lived there and experienced it. So you just covered some uh, ground about the keepers and families, but are, are there any other stories for you that really stand out about about that kind of thing? You know, the, the as far as the keepers go, I know some lighthouses have stories of, you know, haunted keeper, you know, the <laughs> keepers that are now ghosts or spirits and haunt the lighthouse. We don't really have that at Round Island. For the most part, for what we know, it was pretty quiet. If you look at the the actual last few keepers, a lot of them were transfers from Standard Rock, which was out in Lake Superior. And that lighthouse was, you know, we've been we've read that if you were able to do a season out there, you had a choice to go wherever you wanted. It was called the loneliest place on earth. You're 30 miles out in the middle of Lake Superior, and there's nobody around. So a lot of the keepers at the last part of the, you know, the I guess the end of the history for the lighthouse with keepers came from Standard Rock. I know Burt Proctor served a term out there and a few others. So it kind of made me wonder, was that kind of a nice transfer going from Standard Rock? If you had a pick to go anywhere you wanted, was Round Island kind of like a good place to go? You got Mackinac across the street to keep, you know, it probably was an honor to serve at Round Island, especially with Mackinac being right there. Uh, but as far as the keepers go, it's pretty quiet. There is, there's a lot of history with that island without the lighthouse. Um, War of 1812, it was rumored that the Americans put a kind of scouting party on Round Island, kind of see what the British were up to at the fort. They were sighted. Next thing you know, soldiers along with Native Americans that were on the British side came across kind of chasing them. A few people were captured because it was rumored they were stopping in the island to pick wild raspberries, which is kind of neat because even now if you walk the island, there's raspberry bushes, wild raspberry bushes all over. Kind of makes you have think, well, either they must have been really hungry to be like, chased by a group of you know people that were angry with him stopped to pick berries or you know what was the reasoning if they had to stop and they got caught i don't know but there's some modern history uh sports illustrated did a swimsuit cover mm-hmm. both on 
or I shouldn't say cover, but did a swimsuit shoot over on Mackon and on Round Island. That was a little claim to fame, I guess, in the early 90s. Uh, we have some history up there. When we started coming up in 95 and beyond, um, I've been up there when we've seen boats catch on fire out in the channel. Uh, luckily, nobody heard, but obviously the boat was a total loss. We've had boats, people that went from Mackinac City to Mackinac Island in the middle of, you know, just the thickest fog you can imagine with no radar, and they take a compass bearing out of Mackinac City, and I know one boat put itself right up on our shore. They had no idea where they were. They just knew they were on shore somewhere, and we walked the uh, shoreline and found them. But, yeah, it, nothing really big stands out, but just lots of little stories. Mm -hmm. uh, the one, I guess, that stands out for me that I've been told is uh, Frank Rounds was the original builder of the lighthouse. His son was still alive up until a couple years ago. And in talking with his son, he said when the lighthouse was decommissioned in the 40s, it was just a giant party. The kids, the teenagers from Mackinac came over. Uh, when the Coast Guard abandoned it, they literally just walked away. Uh, the story goes that kids were floating around on the old down mattresses out in the in the channel. They were burning furniture, you know, for a bonfire. Log books and stuff were being burned. Hmm. And you hear this and you just cringe, but it was the abandoned lighthouse. It was, right. you know, there was no appreciation for what it could be or what it was. It was just the old abandoned lighthouse. Yeah. I, I tell people, imagine, you know, your local supermarket closing. You don't think anything of it, but man, 80 years from now, it could be the old hardware store, the old supermarket. You know, why didn't we save it? Why didn't we do this? Right. It just it didn't have that appreciation. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I know that a couple of the businesses up there sent people over to basically torch off anything metal that they could scavenge. Uh, it's rumored that the boiler from the lighthouse is now part of the docks <laughs> over on Mackinac Island, that they sank it and filled it with concrete. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. So we do know that they ransacked it pretty good right when they decommissioned it. If anybody listening has stuff from that time period, we're interested. Right. So you mentioned the Sports Illustrated uh, shoot there. Another thing that you often see reference to when you read about Round Island Lighthouse is the fact that parts of the movie Somewhere in Time, 1980 movie, uh, some of that was shot there. I believe I saw that movie a really long time ago, but refresh my memory. Uh, how was the lighthouse used in the movie? It's kind of funny because when we were doing open houses, and even to this day on our Facebook post or page, we'll get a, an occasional message, you know, can you tell me about somewhere in time? And there is a large following of enthusiasts. They meet once a year actually over at the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. Wonderful group of people, very more uh, dedicated than I am to the movie. I think I've seen the movie twice, and it features, you know, the lighthouse that's near and dear to me. But if I can remember correct in the movie, it was kind of the romantic picnic spot. They rode across um, on a rowboat from Mackinac Island and had a picnic on one of the rocks. And from there, you know, there was a little scene and then they rode back. And, and that kind of was how the lighthouse was used is kind of just that backdrop, you know, but yet in the fort or the very background was Mackinac Island. Uh, the question we always get when people come over and, and then occasionally we'll get people that stop by, you know, just when we're on our work weekends. Uh, they'll come over in their own boats, and where's the rock? Which one was it? I have no idea. I, I, I think right now with our high water situation, that rock is probably underwater. But I know the first question I get was is, you know, not, hi, I'm, I'm Bill, nice to meet you. It's where's the rock? Well, Round Island is nothing but rocks, but ironically, we know exactly what they're talking about. Uh, we have it narrowed down to an area we're pretty sure of, but to point out what exact rock it is, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh -huh. 
Now, I know there's a need to improve the protection for the lighthouse, which we'll talk about shortly, but let's hold off on that. What, what is the condition of the lighthouse itself at this point? Um, the lighthouse itself structurally is sitting really well. Uh, there's no damage to the lighthouse that would you know compromise its structural integrity. Cosmetically, um, paint is starting to peel. We've got a little bit of, of the spalting on the brick. There's a small, small bulge on one of the... Um, it's a three-course brick structure, so what has happened is more one of the windows is on the third story. We've gotten a little bit of water penetration between that first course, and it's, it just kind of pushed out a little bit. It's no threat to taking down the building or anything, but it's something that should be you know, addressed in the future. Uh, the roof is probably, well, I shouldn't say probably, the roof is, is due for a replacement. Uh, you've get up, you've got, if you're, if you take care of things, um, about a 30 year lifespan on the roof and we're a little over that. Uh, it's cedar shake, split cedar shake. So that, that needs replacing as well. Uh, the big issue that we're having this year is the just super high, almost, you know, record high, actually it is record high, uh, water levels that we haven't seen since the 1980s. Yeah. So it has dramatically changed the landscape out there. I can tell you from 2019 to 2020, it is definitely different. I've seen it everywhere from, you know, we've had a, we had a little bit of high water in the late 90s uh, where that spit of land that comes from Round Island itself to the lighthouse was a little bit underwater, not much. Right now, it's about waist deep in a couple spots. Will it come back? Yes, but we need the water to go down first in order for that wave action to build it back up. The good news is, is that back in the 1970s, there was protective rock put around the lighthouse, uh, late 70s, I should say. And that rock, it's called riprap. Some people call it armor stone. It's doing its job. It's, it's held up very, very well. It's, it's doing what it's supposed to. It's, it's protecting the lighthouse right now from, you know, the ongoing onslaught from wave action. But come winter, ice is a whole other animal. So you're going to need, need more protection, is that right, with the uh, current situation? So what we're worried about is, you know, ice is actually a good thing. Water doesn't make waves when it's locked up, you know, as ice. What it what gets scary is when you start getting into March, uh, late March, early April, when that ice starts to break up, and then you get a 30, 40 mile per hour wind out of the west, that ice has to go somewhere. You know, imagine thousands of icebergs basically piling up. For the most part, the water through that channel flows pretty good uh, between both around Macon, north, south, above Bois Blanc, which is to the south of us, and south of Bois Blanc. You know, the water's flowing pretty decently, which is good. But ice can still pile up. We have pictures of ice piled up, you know, from the turn of the century that somebody had taken. And what we're worried about is any other year ice piling up wouldn't be an issue. That protective riprap is going to do its job. But now that we have high water, now you've brought that ice up even, you know, almost three feet higher than what it would have been. So is it going to pile up? Yes. Will it damage the lighthouse? I don't know. It's, it's really a roll of the dice. So our goal is to bring in more protective rock. And that's really what our focus this year was, was trying to get high water protection in before winter comes. Is there a pretty uh, developed plan for exactly what needs to be done? And part two of that question is, do you know how much it's going to cost? I can tell you yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> um, the good thing is is that we have a wonderful partnership with the United States Forest Service. I, I'm very proud of that relationship that we have. It, what's really nice is that if I have a question, if I have a concern, I can be on the phone and pretty much get an answer, if not a few minutes later. 
or, you know, at least no later than by the end of the day, which is really nice for both parties. You know, and it, it goes both ways too. the Forest Service may have a question for us. Uh, you know, we'll answer pretty much immediately as well. So what kind of the plan of attack here was let's get the ball rolling early spring, which we did. We had a Marine contractor come out, uh, somebody that was very well known in the area and, and very, you know, experienced at the Straits area. So I was looking for a quote and also an opinion. Uh, do we really need rock? Do, do, you know, are we going to be okay? You know, somebody that knows the area and, and works in this line of work is going to be able to tell us pretty quickly. And, and their suggestion was you need a, what they call like a touch-up chop. Uh, just bringing the outermost layer out a few, you know, maybe another 20 feet from the lighthouse. You're not going to pile it up higher in elevation, but just to bring out so that that ice does start to pile up, it, you know, has room to basically clear uh, the lighthouse. So we brought a marine contractor out right away in early June. With that being said, the Forest Service said, we're going to start working on permits. We don't know where we stand financially right now, but we're going to start working on permits. So they went through their channels to try to find funding for this. The initial cost estimate was over $300,000. But that would have also put rock on all four sides of the lighthouse. And we don't really need to protect the north side because you have Mackinac Island a half mile away. There's no way that waves are going to build up, you know, push ice up. So the north side doesn't really need a lot more protection. The east side, the very east side, well, you have Round Island itself protecting the building. So that really doesn't need rock. So we went back with the marine contractor and said, you know, what is this really going to cost? And the estimate that we received is right around $250,000. Uh, that would be money to mobilize their equipment and get it out there. They're going to come out of not too far away. Uh, that includes the rock. It's going to be three to five ton boulders. And it was funny because the price we got was per ton. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, that's, that's a pretty reasonable number per ton. But then you find out you need 1,500 tons of rock. And, you know, your goes into start happening and you're saying to yourself, that's a lot more money. So we, we had a plan established and we knew that the Forest Service, they've always been underfunded. Uh, they're part of the USDA, which is part of the Department of Interior. And, and I'm not in any way, shape or form bad mouthing the Forest Service. They're, I love working with those people, but unfortunately they're underfunded and it's not their fault. They would, the, the people that we work with, you know, they have bought in our merchandise, you know, privately obviously you know they, they support what we're doing they're very passionate about the lighthouse too the hiawatha national forest is the entity i guess that oversees our lighthouse they're part of the forest service but that division the hiawatha forest they're really unique they not only have forested lands you know that they're going to work on timbering they have campgrounds they have you know interpretation centers historical spots they also oversee four lighthouses there's no other forest in the United States that has four lighthouses on their property. And they have multiple islands that they are in charge of, including Round Island and our lighthouse. So they're really unique in how, I guess, what they have to oversee and manage. And they're they're underfunded. I think that we requested something like 130% of their uh, facilities budget. We requested, you know, the $250,000 in they, they politely said, Matt, we don't have that money. You know that. And I said, look, I want to do a formal request just so it's on the record. Um, and maybe we can petition Congress or, or representatives to maybe go a little farther. Because we know that there's probably money at the U.S. Department of Interior level. Uh, you look at all the – I'm not trying to, by any means, minimize our wildfires out west. Those are horrible, horrible you know, tragedies. But somebody's paying for that. Where is the money coming from? 
And we're asking for $250,000 to save this historical building that's really the gem of the straits and is, you know, when we talk about pure Michigan, the ad campaign that Michigan runs for their tourism, they've used our lighthouse and commercials. We've been on the side of a Labatt can. You know, our image, uh, Ford trucks used our lighthouse in one of their commercials. I mean, it is an iconic Michigan image, Round Island Lighthouse. It's that gateway to Mackinac Island. Yeah, it, it, it's a considerable amount of money, but what's it going to cost if it's not there? Right. What's it going to do to tourism if it's not there? I mean, you're losing a symbol of what Michigan is. That is the so, key question. That's a great a great way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. So where we're at is we started privately fundraising. We started a GoFundMe uh, campaign through GoFundMe charities for nonprofits. We also started a online store. We've always had merchandise, but we typically sold at like crafts, bazaars, and so forth. The online store, we started putting out merchandise. We made more merchandise because we didn't know how successful it became, and it became very successful. Some of the old friends of Round Island, it was a preservation group that was formed when the corner of the lighthouse was taken out in the 70s from, again, high water. They uh, donated. They had prints still in their basements that they used for uh, fundraising. Uh, Marsha Haynes, one of their, well, their lead member, called me up and said, Matt, I have a stack of prints in my basement that I found when I was cleaning. Would you like them for fundraising? They were from the 70s, and, and we've been selling those on our online store. Uh, get them while you can, because when they're gone, they're gone. They even smell like Marsha's basement. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we've gone that route. Uh, we've done very well. We've raised so far just shy of about $28,000 uh, right around there, which is, is great. For a all-volunteer organization, you know, nobody on our board is paid. I, th I think our secretary, Pat, I think she's still paying for stamps out of her own pocket for mailing things out. We really have no overhead other than a P.O. box. And when we have to purchase more merchandise, which then gets replenished with the sale of more merchandise. So when I tell people pretty much every dollar that you give goes to Round Island, every dollar that's given goes to Round Island. We don't have really any overhead and we make sure of that i know how hard it is to, to raise money for a project like this believe me uh it's not i i just uh, hosted an event the other night where i i said the for me the hardest part of doing any of this work is always asking for money so i said to the the people at that event so i'm not going to ask you for any money but if you you know if the mood strikes you <laughs> i told them how they could, could donate if they really want to but and speaking of that uh how can people help out with this uh this effort uh, the best way to, to donate and uh, either access our online store, click on the donation button, or just even see what's going on is uh, through our website, the roundislandlightmichigan.com. Uh, that, that's going to be the, probably the best way. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, we always post links. If we get new merchandise, then it'll be first up on Facebook. Uh, and, and we talk about fundraising. We picked the worst year to fundraise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, the, the 2020 memes and the 2020, you know, tragedies, I guess you could say they're going on, just add to the list. You know, Mackinac Island got about a two-month late start because of our uh, quarantine here in Michigan. Yeah, it just, everybody's behind. Everybody's trying to, to, to salvage what's left of the summer to make a few bucks to, you know, get in, get through the winter for next year. So people are still giving. Uh, what we have found, too, as long as we can keep ourselves in the spotlight, We've done pretty well, but it seems like the second that, you know, a story on the local news or a story in the paper runs about us and our efforts, 
there's something else, whether it's politics or coronavirus or whatever it may be, you know, immediately overshadows it. So it's 2020 is, is definitely not the year to be doing this, but I, I'm really proud of our organization. Um, I, I, I definitely do got to give a shout out to the gentleman that run the Round Island versus the High Water Facebook page. Uh, they brought a huge group of local residents, you know, the local community of Mackinac Island, St. Agnes, Mackinac City. Uh, they brought them on board and rallied those people together very quickly. And, I, you know, we talk about exposure. As long as you can keep that exposure, uh, those two gentlemen have done a fantastic job helping out this lighthouse. So, no, I, I really got to give them a shout out. They've helped us out a lot, and, and their hearts are in a great spot. A lot of people obviously love that lighthouse very, very dearly. So uh, maybe I hope maybe a few few of them are listening to this and might might come out of the woodwork to help out. Uh, so let me ask you one final question for bonus sure. points. Okay, so get ready. What have you enjoyed most about your association with the lighthouse? <laughs> Where to start? I've got so many memories up there. I have family members that have gone up that are no longer with us. So there's a little bit of a tie personally there. But I think for me, I think my favorite thing about the lighthouse, my the, the thing that keeps bringing me back is kind of a, a double-edged sword. I have met so many people. I can't remember names and, and faces anymore. But just finding out that so many other people are passionate about the same thing that I am is awesome us talking today it's 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 one more person that's interested and then as you can tell i could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about round island probably tell i'm blue in the face that's a good uh, thing yeah i mean and, and for me i, I hold a, a partial history degree so the history of the island the history of that area just fascinates me but at the end of the day the personal connection that's there is very important to me but there's something about me sitting up on that tower watching the sun go down and it could be raining it could be snowing it could be but it's going to be perfect out in my mind every time and you get a perfect sunset behind the bridge going down the Mackinac bridge which is right to your west and again life is moving all around you everything's happening but you're still for some reason round island lighthouse doesn't have time time is stopped um, we laugh because there's a clock actually on the wall in the area that we eat and it's stuck on five o'clock which Obviously, we make some jokes about that, but it's true that the time has never stopped. It's always five o'clock. It's always just set in time. And I think that's what is the biggest thing for me is it's just it's my happy place. It's a place that I can go and just get away from everything. And what makes me very proud is that it's not just me that enjoys it. It's countless, countless other people that I've had the pleasure to meet. Yeah, I, this year alone, I hundreds of people I've talked to and met, and and a lot of new friends, and that and that's the best thing about it. It just people that want to talk around island, and I can talk around island. Does it get any better? <laughs> <laughs> Your passion for the place comes through in everything you you say. So I mean, that's that's uh, completely obvious. So I want to thank you so much, uh, Matt McMullen, for being with me today, for spending this this time with me and for filling us in on what's what's happening there. And I, I wish you all the luck in the world. It's going to be tough, but I, uh, where there's a will, there's a way. You're going to pull it off. I have no doubt about it. And I look forward to following your progress. Uh, and I hope we can stay in touch, maybe have you back sometime and talk about uh, how that progress is going. 
Thank you so much for having me. And anytime, if if you want to follow up with me, if you want whatever you need, we're here. Like I said, if you want to talk Round Island, I love talking Round Island. <laughs> Again, for more information on Round Island Lighthouse, go online to the Round Island Lighthouse Preservation Society at roundislandlightmichigan.com. Next, we're going to hear the first installment of a new feature on Florida lighthouses and keepers. The person behind this new feature is Ralph Krugler, historian for the Hillsborough Lighthouse Preservation Society. Ralph is extremely knowledgeable about Florida lighthouses and their keepers, and he's also been helping with the ongoing creation of the J. Candace Clifford Lighthouse Research Catalog for the U.S. Lighthouse Society. We'll hear more of these features from Ralph now and then, so here's the first installment of Florida Lighthouse History with Ralph Krugler. Hi everybody, my name is Ralph Krugler. I'm the historian for the Hillsborough and the Lighthouse, and my side is my faithful dog, Wiki, which is the old nickname for a lighthouse keeper. And now that I come to think of it, actually, a nickname is very prominent in today's Lighthouse Keeper profile. Today we're going to be talking about one man named Judson Becton Eisler, who was born June 6, 1870, to parents Becton and Azona. His mother would pass away at the very young age of only 35, leaving Becton to remarry twice. Judson was born and grew up in Morgan, Georgia, but we really know nothing of his early life, except that he was given a nickname that would stick with him for the duration of his life. That was Judge. He liked it so much that he actually had it engraved on his headstone rather than his given name. Judge moved to Florida at an undetermined date, first showing up working on a dredge digging the Florida East Coast Canal between Jupiter and Lake Worth. Florida was still a wild frontier in those days. The West had already been won and cities were growing across the nation, but Florida, for the most part, was still wild undisturbed scrubland. The work he was doing was backbreaking labor in subtropical heat and humidity. It's no wonder that the turnover rate was so high. The waterway the dredge was digging was only five feet deep, but first the vegetation had to be cleared. They were linking a series of natural bodies of water into what would eventually become the intercoastal waterway, but in those days the water was still fresh, and many of them chock full of alligators. We're not certain how long he remained in that job, but in the 1890s he homesteaded on the Loxahatchee River in Florida. There he farmed until 1919. At some point during his time there, Judge ventured to New Smyrna Beach, where he met and married Mary Louise Cranford. She was born February 8, 1896, making him 25 years her senior. But that didn't bother folks. Eisler was well-liked among his community, and fortunately for us, we have a document that proves that. In 1965, a woman named Bessie Dubois, a longtime resident of Florida, gave a speech to the women's club. In the short monologue, she detailed how the community all came together to help the newly married couple. She stated, I always enjoy remembering the time the town bachelor took a bride. She lived in Miami and was a stranger to us all, but the women had their doubts about Judge Eisler's housekeeping. So when the club members heard that he and his bride would arrive on a certain night, they set forth up the river in a flotilla of boats loaded with mops, pails, scrub brushes, rugs, dishes, curtains, and kitchenware, and descended upon Judge's forlorn bachelor shack. The men brought hammers, nails, rakes, and axes. After a period of terrific activity, the place was transformed. Windows shining, bedding aired and refreshed, new rugs and dishes, the yard raked and cans buried, and a brand new door on the privy. That night, everyone was on hand to greet the couple as they arrived on the train. 
The school wagon was decorated, and the men pulled it down to the school boat with a dazzled bridal couple in the high seat, and the old mule who usually pulled it looking quizzically on. The school boat, decorated with Japanese lanterns, chugged up the river. A parade of boats fell in behind, most of them turning up their own fork of the river. That was a good marriage. The Eislers raised a fine family, and the women's club deserves a lot of credit for getting them off to a good start. Now, due to the current virus shutting down most everything across the country, my trip to the National Archives in St. Louis to obtain copies of our Keeper's personnel files was postponed. So as far as we know, Judge joined the Lighthouse Service in 1920. He arrived at the Hillsborough and the Light Station on November 4th of that year. He, of course, was joined by Marion, but also in tow was a daughter named Zora and a son, Luther, who went by his own nickname, Beck. Judge would remain at the station for the rest of his working days, being promoted to first assistant on November 23, 1926. During his tenure, the family would grow, adding three more children, Irene, Ruth, and George. Over the course of his career, Judge accompanied headkeeper Thomas Knight in some of the daring rescues at sea. He also dutifully remained on watch at the top of the lighthouse during many hurricanes that were so severe that the lighthouse tower actually swayed back and forth several feet. But probably nothing was more grueling than the single day's work of May 7, 1921. On that day, both he and Knight found a strategic spot on the barrier island they called home. Using picks, shovels, and axes, they cleared out all the vegetation in roughly a 10-foot swath from the ocean to the inland canal. They dug it down several feet and then did a backburn to prevent a raging wildfire from coming down and obliterating the lighthouse station. Judge would retire on July 22, 1939, as he didn't wish to continue on due to his advancing age and the Coast Guard having taken over operations. However, that didn't stop him from returning periodically to the old homestead. Each time he did, Judge would regale the Coasties with tales of the old days, often embellishing them for his own amusement. Judge was always known as quite the character. He passed away on October 24, 1957, and is buried beside his wife in the historic section of the local Pompano Beach Cemetery, just a few feet away from Lighthouse co-workers and friends, the Knights and the Stones. And that wraps up today's Lighthouse Keeper profile. Hope you enjoyed it more than my dog, Wiki, who is fast asleep, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. Thanks, as always, to all the staff, volunteers, and members of the U.S. Lighthouse Society and its chapters and affiliates. To learn more about the tours, preservation grants, the passport program, and all the other things the Society offers, go to uslhs.org. You can also check out the USLHS on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our thanks to everyone everywhere who works to preserve lighthouses or any kind of history. Remember, historic preservation isn't just about the past, it's about the future. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. Thank you to Michelle Jewelshaw for being such an awesome co-host yet again. And as always, thanks for listening and... Keep a good light. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All in my house, I'm gonna let it shine. All in my house, I'm gonna let it shine. All in my house, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine